Due to the length of this week's interview, there are no haunted headlines or paranormal pop culture. But Lynn and I will be back next week with our usual shenanigans, including a debate over whether Batman can be considered supernatural or not. In the meantime, please enjoy this week's jam-packed interview. This week's spooky special guest is author Darlene Concitis, and we talk about everything from her best-selling writing routine to dragon shifters. Okay, we have with us Darlene Concitis. Um, Darlene is the best-selling author of the Supernatural Desire series. She writes contemporary paranormal romance as well as romantic thrillers has 15 published books, and has also participated in a few anthologies. So thank you for being my guest, Darlene. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, that's um, 15, and I'm working on more. Oh, good. Wonderful. Well, I have a couple of questions about what you got going on, but we're going to get to okay. those a little bit later. Um, first, I want to just give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself. Oh, man, I hate talking about myself. Um, born and raised in Ohio. Uh, I, I've i been writing, it seems, forever. But I didn't publish. Actually, Valentine's Day was my nine-year anniversary, my publisher, my publish-versary. Um, I've written my whole life, but I just never had... Uh, just I was always too scared to publish I and, completely understand that I was the same way right I mean you know I growing up people loved reading my stories but they were just little tidbits here and there and I said when I wrote Vampire Saving Embrace which was my first published book I said I'm doing this I, I figured oh my family will order a copy. That'll be it. But at least I've knocked off number one on my bucket list. And I didn't expect the response that it got, which totally, it just blew me away. People were contacting me, telling me how they fell in love with the characters and you're going to write, you know, Harper and, or not Harper, Luke and Luke and Kat's story? Are you going to write Marcus's story? And it just kind of snowballed, thankfully. I'm, I'm so grateful for it every day because I'm living a dream. Oh, that's always fantastic to get to that point. Yes. It's what I've always wanted to do. I said I've never, I never wanted to be a ballerina or a princess. I wanted to be actually John Saul or Stephen King, which is kind of funny because I ended up writing romance. So figure that one out. <laughs> well, that might sort of segue into my next question. Um, I wanted to ask you, what made you decide to write in the supernatural genre? It's funny. I never did before. And I was driving home from work, and I was kind of daydreaming. And it's just, this story popped into my head, and I went home, and I just started playing around with it. And I'm not kidding you. It wrote itself, and I write very organically. I always have. It's just 
I've got to write what I feel. And so I just worked on this story and it just, it flowed so nicely and it just started from a daydream. And I don't know why the main character happened to be a vampire, but I, I've always loved the paranormal in sense that, I, again, I'm a Stephen King fan, I'm a John Saul fan, I love ghosts and I'm addicted to all those ghost shows, not so much the ghost hunting, but you know my ghost story and my haunted house, that type of thing. So I've always had an interest in it. And it just, again, I write what what comes to me. So it just happened to be a paranormal romance. I got to say that you should be very happy that you have that skill of just writing what comes to you because in traditional words, you'd be considered a pantser, but... Um... It doesn't seem like, I mean, it seems like most authors have some kind of plotting, even if it's just, you know, like a, a very basic idea. And I think pretty much all of us would love to be able to just write what comes to us. You know what, though? It can also be a crutch. Not, I don't want to say, no, crutch is the wrong word. With the, with the pandemic and everything going on, I'm finding it's harder for me to write because it isn't coming to me. And I think because I write so organically that if it doesn't flow, I just stop. Mm -hmm. Because I, I haven't, I just, I have to love what I write. I have to love the characters and if I force it, if it's not coming to me, it I just can't do it. I cannot force it because I won't be happy with it. But I think sometimes if I was the type to plot something out, I could at least follow that plot. And rewrites are always an author's best friend. And worse enemies. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> I mean, I will plot in my head to a point, but usually when I do that, I'll end up just scratching something because as I'm writing it, it just, something else just comes to me. And I need to do that more. And again, it's just, I'm finding it hard right now. And I think because I love interacting with people and with the pandemic you're limited to do that yes i think it's partially that and i think a lot of authors are being blocked right now from everything going on in the world like not even just the pandemic but just everything because it's kind of hard to write more crazy things than what are actually happening right now to us so this is very true it is <laughs> and we, and you know, we all we all write to escape but when the world is crazy, what do you write to escape from that? You know, you have to, do you write what normal life should look like? And then is that going to be an interesting enough story? You know, it's a struggle. It is. It is. And I think it's just, it's almost, these, these past couple of years have just kind of been the perfect storm with just kind of everything. I mean, 
and I'm talking politically, um, just health-wise with people, you know. I said I was talking to my sister last week, and I said, I really miss being able to, for lack of a better way to put it, but leave the house carefree. Yeah. Where I'm just leaving the house to go do whatever, and I don't have to think, do I have a mask? Do I have this? Do I have to worry about that? I miss that. Yeah, it, it, it was nice to be able to walk out the door and not think, okay, what's going to happen this time? Yes. Yeah, I completely and, understand that. Because it's not even just the pandemic and everything else that's going on, but it seems like just the public in general, it seems like things are just out of control. Because like mm-hmm. every time, even every time I go to the grocery store now, I think, okay, who's going to almost hit me this time? Right. I, I agree. And... That, I think, plays a part because everybody's dealing with their own things. Like, I miss going to the signings and like I used to because talking to readers, that's that's like a, you know, a shot of B12 to me. It just energizes me. And it's hard because we've had signings, you know, events that have been postponed for almost two years. Yes, yes. Um, and you, some of them are coming back, though, so hopefully, fingers crossed. Yes. I mean, they're, they're lifting things a little bit, and that helps. And again, I think that you're right. You hit it right on the head. It's just with everything going on, I don't know. It's it's hard to concentrate on a fantasy world when the real world is just so out of whack. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's it's the same struggle as in, you know, working a full-time job in writing. You When you're writing, mm-hmm. you're, work, you're thinking about your job. When you're at your job, you're thinking about writing. There's no... It, it's, it's a struggle to find a balance, really. It is. It is. And you just... And again, like I said, I have to... It has to flow. I'm real big with my stories flowing. And if I just, I'm my own worst enemy because I've been working on book three in the Supernatural Desires series and I'm happily saying I'm starting to pick that up again. But that was a struggle because I I, I have what I call the, ooh, a piece of candy type of, I'll be writing something and then something else will pop into my head. Mm -hmm. Like I was in the middle of writing Marcus's Mortal Embrace, which was book three in my series. And I I was at work. I walked into the one woman's office and she listens to this really old station, like 40s and 50s and 30s music, I think. And the song I'll Be Seeing You was on. And she was on the phone, and I'm standing there waiting for her to get off the phone, and I just started thinking, I'm like, wow, this is a stalker's anthem. Well, I'll be seeing you came out of of that. And I love that story, and that that was my first contemporary romantic thriller. And I love that story so much, 
So I stopped writing Marcus because I had to write I'll be seeing you. It's interesting. So I get I, that happens to me a lot where I said I I just look at it as like, oh, piece of candy, and I get distracted onto another story. But that, that's the way I've got to do it. That might be where some quote unquote plotting might come in handy for you, is having a journal of your ideas. <laughs> it probably would. <laughs> But um, I said, and I am, and I guess you're either as writers, and I think as anyone who's creative in some way or another, you're either super organized or you are a scatterbrain. Whereas I'm, I'm on that end of the spectrum. I am so unorganized, it's not funny. Uh, it's kind of funny you bring that up because I um, I uh, do some personal assistant work for some authors, and one of my clients has basically had me completely organize her entire life because I'm such an organized person, and she's not. Yes. So, see, so you're on that other end of the spectrum. Yes. I can't. I, and... I, if I have a day where I don't have a to-do list, uh, a, you know, a master tasks list, all sorts of other lists, I do not get anything done. <laughs> And I'm, I am getting better with the sense that, and it's funny because I have, and don't laugh at me, but I have notebooks all over the place. I have a notebook and pen in my car. I have little ones in my purse. And I will, if something hits me, and usually it's just, it's just something very minor, but I'll write it down, but then usually I'll lose it. So, yes. Or I'll spill coffee on it. And, and but I will that do that. Because, as I said, I'm a very organized person. I have one, two, three, four, five bullet journals, plus notebooks, plus lined paper everywhere. Yeah, I have a whole filing cabinet oh. in my room, which the bottom part is all story ideas. See, and I envy you that so much because I'm not. <laughs> um, And a real good friend of mine and other authors like that if she is not organizing something she's bouncing off the walls we always laugh because she's the one that a couple of anthologies we've done she's taking care of everything because she's that organized and we laugh because we're like oh this is like your Christmas because you get to make lists and you get to plan things and it is, and I'm just the opposite. I, everything I do, it has to. It just comes from the gut. Yeah, it's the, the, the best funny way thing, to put it. The funny thing is, for me, is I wasn't like that when I was younger. When I was younger, I was like you. I just, you know, just one day at a time. Whatever comes at me, comes at me. But now, I don't get anything done if I'm not organized. But see, that's good. I think, I, like I said, I envy you of that because I need to get more organized, and I'm trying. I really am, and it's, um, who was it, Salinger, that said, if anything, if you write five minutes in the morning, five or 15 minutes in the morning, do it every day. And I've been doing that, and it is helping me get that mojo flowing again. Um, and again, I have two events in April, which I'm really excited about because, like I said, meeting readers, new readers who know my books that come up 
to talk that I've met in person several times, but they come to these events. It is just the best feeling, and it does just energize me, and I need that. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get back to that soon. Yes. I mean, I feel it coming, and I go through this. I mean, it's, it's just kind of like when I was younger reading. I was a voracious reader, but then I would go through periods where I could not concentrate on a book to save my life because life tends to get in the way. You start doing this and you start doing that. And then it's just, I would miss it so much. And I'm like, oh, I have to read because I've always been like that. I, I laugh because I, I always say, I came out of the womb with a book in my hand. <laughs> because I just, I have always loved reading, I've always, like I said, loved writing little stories. When I was in, I think it was eighth grade, we had a English assignment. We had to write a short story, and I did. And my English teacher plunked me. He gave me an F because he said, this is too perfect even for you. And I remember I was, I was in tears because I worked on that story for a week straight, all weekend long. I didn't do anything. I wanted to make sure, you know, every comma was correct. Every sentence was, sentence was structured perfectly. And then I got an F. Well, my mother freaked out because she knew how hard I worked on this. So she went in and talked to him. She says, no, this is, this is her work. She sat there. I watched her. No one helped her with it. So he changed my grade, thankfully, to an A, and then requested me to be in his class the next year. But um, it's just, it's it's crazy because I've always just loved to write. I think, again, it's like someone who paints. I envy that so much. Someone that can sit down at a canvas and just create something so beautiful. And it just amazes me. I was going to say that um, that teacher was a smart man for changing your grade because that was a horrible reason to flunk you. Oh, I think my mother, I think she would have caused World War Three because, like I said, I sat at that kitchen table the whole weekend just finishing up because it was due that Monday and I wanted it perfect and she watched you know I mean she watched me and she didn't help me because she <laughs> she wasn't the reader I got my love of reading from my father he was another one that always had a book in his hand which makes me sad because I did we did lose him before I published my first book and it was kind of bittersweet because I thought he would be so proud. And I'm sure he is, and I'm sure he's read them. Yes. <laughs> I, I like to think so. I like to think so because, like I said, he was the reader, and that's where I got it from. My mom was not. <laughs> my sister was not. My brother wasn't a real big... I, just my father and I. So... It's, a, it's strange where you get the love of stuff. 
Yes, it's it's very interesting how uh, genetics genetics pass. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, you sort of touched on this a little because um, you said that you write uh, for at least a few minutes in the morning. But I wanted to talk mm-hmm. to you about your writing routine. And my first question was, what time of day do you write best? Uh, I am, believe I'm a morning person, and my favorite, where I get my biggest inspiration and it's easiest for me to write is in the summer, early, early morning, I'll go out on our deck with a cup of coffee, when it's quiet, no one's out, that's my favorite time, that's kind of just... You know, right after the sun comes up and you can smell the outside, the grass, you hear the birds, that's my favorite time to write. Sounds fantastic. And so that's when I do my best writing. That sounds uh, absolutely heavenly. (laughs) (laughs) It is just, yeah, it's, that's why I think too, it's been a brutal winter this year. Yes, and the, you know, and the, the up and down weather does not help because one day it's like, oh, chirping birds and sunshine, and then the next day it's freezing cold and there's no animals around. Yeah, it's 12. <laughs> you're, you're like, it was 60 yesterday. That, that yeah, that hasn't been fun this year. We've had very mild winters, and that's been nice because you can get out a little bit. It's just been so brutal cold, and I find as I get older, I like the cold less and less. Yes, it's understandable. So, and I also think that the inconsistency there with the weather affects writing as well, because as an author, I'm sure you have a, I don't want to say standard, but a, a type of atmosphere that is ideal for your writing you know a certain temperature certain weather exactly I just I have I have that um when it's like that hibernation gene when it gets really cold I especially like on the weekends I usually end up cooking something but I just want to snuggle up under a blanket and just watch mindless tv yes i am exactly the same way under the blanket hoodie on something paranormal on tv and a bag of cheese curls i'm happy (laughs) yes i mean i'm with i'm just give me coffee and coffee and popcorn i'm a big popcorn person yes popcorn popcorn. is a, a good substitute for cheese curls um yes so just for a little fun tidbit about you do you like the regular popcorn or do you like sweet popcorn um, I am a regular popcorn, lots of butter, which is terrible for me, <laughs> but, oh, buttered popcorn, and every once in a while, I will sprinkle, like, um, habanero powder on my popcorn so it's hot. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's delicious. With butter, mm. Yeah, I'm not a sweet popcorn eater. So... I just, I, I like buttered popcorn, but that's my go-to snack, and that's the thing. In the winter, I just want to, and it, it's, it doesn't help either with, where you have these amazing shows on Netflix and all the different cha- streaming channels now. I got into 
yellow jackets on I think it's on show it was on showtime. That doesn't help because you you know, you're streaming these shows. Yes, and there's no real willpower to stop. I completely understand it. I started watching um, the show Teen Wolf on Monday. Uh, not not yesterday, but this past Monday. Um, uh-huh. Or not today. Today is Monday, duh. <laughs> but this, a week ago I started it. And I'm almost done because I've just been binging it and binging it. I just can't stop. Oh my God. It isn't that like wasn't that like four or five seasons? Six. Six. Wow. <laughs> well, like a couple weekends ago, I'm... I wasted an entire Saturday watching that show with Kristen Bell, the woman across the, the girl in the window of the woman across the street. It's, I didn't think I'd like it. It's kind, it was kind of like a spoof of the um, woman on the train. I think that's what that movie was called with um, Emily Blunt. But it was so good. I've heard that and from I, a few people. I, I might have to try that one eventually. It's give it a chance. I mean, I got hooked, and I was sitting there. Oh, just one more. Just one more, and then it was done, because you have to see how it ends. It was really, really good, and I didn't think it would be. I didn't think I'd like it, and I loved it. Well, you know, I didn't think I'd like Teen Wolf either. I've been putting it off and putting it off for a long time, because I was worried, because it's based off of the movie Teen Wolf that Michael J. Fox was in, so I was worried it was going to ruin the movie, but it totally doesn't. I am addicted to it now. See, it's it's crazy too. You think about it, like I people have said that. Um, oh, what's it called? The one like the Archie comics, Archie and Betty, uh, Riverdale. Yes. That people are saying, and I've never watched it, but that Riverdale's a really really good show. And all I can think of is they're taking these. I grew up with. Archie comics. When we would go on road trips, that was part, like, we'd go to Wisconsin to um, visit my brother, and I, that was part of the the trip. My mom would buy snacks and me, Archie, comic books to read. And yeah. I just, the thought that they're making it not even, just not even close to how it was, It's it's hard for me to take that plunge and start trying to watch them well that's and now i might that's one of the ones on my list so i will let you know how it goes okay (laughs) because yeah i mean they it's i know like sabrina the teenage witch that was one of my favorite comic books as a kid but they turned it really dark yes so it's nothing like the 90s show the 90s show to me was much better (laughs) Okay, see, that's what I'm saying. Even, yeah, even the 90s show was was a cute show. And I remember reading, like I said, the Sabrina, the Teenage Witch comics as a kid. And they were fun. And I, so I don't know how I feel with them. I, I have an issue anymore with Hollywood and how they are revamping shows, redoing shows that have been off the air. 
there are so many talented writers out there. In the even in the indie author community, there are amazing authors that have just phenomenal series that are original and different and Hollywood keeps rehashing the same stuff. Yeah, I, I completely understand and definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's it, they it's like they've run out of ideas, but how could they when there is so there is so much untouched out there that if they would just open their eyes. Like I said, you you have talented writers that just would be I, I, I'll read someone's book and I'll think, wow, this would be an amazing movie. But no, they got to remake Bewitched or something again. Whatever. I think they're remaking The Adams Family again. Or Now, I don't, when it comes to Bewitched, I'm kind of 50-50 on the idea of a remake. Like, I would give it a shot because I loved Bewitched. It was one of my favorite shows. Mine too. But that then, Night Dream of Genie. On the other hand, don't ruin it. <laughs> well, think about it. They did that one remake with Nicole Kidman and Will Ferrell, and it was horrendous. Just like they redid The Stepford Wives, the original great movie. It was scary, it was creepy, and then they remade that movie, and they just totally camped it up to the point where it was almost unwatchable. So I don't know. It's 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 hard because I do see shows that are from books that are great. Don't get me wrong. There are some great new concepts out there. But for the most part, they're just taking the same thing and just putting a little twist on it. And using the same ideas over and over again. Yeah, and I understand it, but I'm also, like, I can kind of see it from their point of view in some cases as well. Because, you know, when we're trying to come up with story ideas for books, you know, sometimes you'll come up with an idea, you'll think it's 100% unique, it's the best idea in the world, and then you'll find out somebody already wrote it. And then you're you're well, I feeling you know you're deflated because you think you can't make it unique enough. No, I get it because I mean I've read authors too where I mean as a romance author, I mean who are we kidding? If you write the happily ever afters, you have a formula. There's that formula. What should make your writing unique? is how you get to that happily ever after. Because romance has a specific, I mean, even horror to the to point. Unless you just do something totally not expected, horror has, you have the one person who survives it all. To just have that, at the end, that little oh, you know, the killer's still alive. I mean, I think with any writing, there's a general formula. But as writers, we do our best to 
be unique in getting to that ending. It's an interesting like, way of looking at it. Like, my big thing is, I, I love my characters. And with my Supernatural Desire series, I, I just didn't want to say goodbye to them. So the series is, they all, the main characters from the different books, they all pop up in each other's books. Mm-hmm. And so you know in the second book what the main characters from the first book are still doing. They're not the main characters, but they haven't just disappeared, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's a chance to continue their story without focusing completely right. on them. Yeah, I get it. And it's just they pop up, and yeah, and they have... I just hate saying goodbye when I really fall in love with characters, and... I work really hard at trying to write characters. One of the best compliments I ever got, well, one of them, was they said, you write characters that I want to go and have a drink with, want to go have dinner with, I want to hang out with. They're relatable. And that, that made me feel better than anything because that's, what I want. I want real characters that you just, I want to know that person. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, you, you, in order to be invested in the story, you have to be invested in the character. Right. I mean, that's, I want characters that people fall in love with, that people can relate to, that aren't perfect, that are, I, that are smart asses and they're snarky and you know but they have hearts of gold and would lay down their life for someone and I want to write characters that when someone finishes the book there's that moment of oh no don't come you know it's over I want more well you did that to me <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yes, with the book Good. that we're going to talk about a little bit in a couple of questions, um, Mermaid's Kiss, you definitely left me hanging. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do cliffhangers, but um, I, I could see where I might eventually continue their story because there is more that can be told with them. I didn't, I finished their story. See, I like doing novellas and quick reads that don't seem rushed. And I hope it didn't seem rushed. No, it did not. It's just I got to the end and I'm like, where's the rest of it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've had a couple people have told me they want that to continue. And I might do a second book um, with those characters just like the next phase of their life. Because I can always do that. Um, but that's that's a wonderful compliment, too. When you have that whole story, but yet you still want more. You want more of those characters. Yes. It's... And you know, as as an author, that's, that's like our Christmas day <laughs> when people want more. You mentioned... Uh, having notebooks everywhere, but are there any other tools or anything you feel are, are essential to your writing? That's a that's a great question, and I 
I think about that. And again, um, that's a, with me, it's coffee, plain and simple. <laughs> if, I, if I don't have a cup of coffee, Mama's not getting anything put on that page. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm a coffee addict, proud of it. But um, as for tools, as an author, you just, I, I, I just say a wing and a prayer. You know, you hope that the muses talk to you, that your characters talk to you. But a tool, uh, that's hard. That's a, that's a tough one. I think about that. It's, I don't know. Well, let me ask I, what you. What do you use? Well, so for example, when I write, if I don't put on my rings, I don't get anything done. Like, my, my hands don't feel right if my rings are not on my fingers. So is there any kind of, like, superstition or anything like that that you have? Oh, how funny. That's interesting. Um, no, not really. I just hope my dogs stay quiet and don't drive me nuts. <laughs> I have a cat, so I know that how that never is. fails. It's kind of like... I get my coffee, I get all situated, and as soon as I sit down, one of them wants to go outside. Or one of them wants to do this. But, um, no, no nothing superstitious. Do you um, uh, have to write in the silence? Do you have to have the TV on, music? I like the TV on. I'm the same way. I find, because I can, like, I love true crime shows. Or as I said before, paranormal shows. And I can put them on in the background, especially if they're shows I've seen already, and I can tune them out. If I play music, it has to be classical because if it's anything with lyrics, that's when I get distracted and I'll find myself singing along with it. I completely agree. And I won't agree. realize I'm doing it. Yep, completely agree. Okay, good, because I thought it was a weird little thing I had, and I'm so glad you understand that. Trust me, it is not, because I tried music one time, because TV just wasn't enough, it seemed like. So I thought, well, Mm -hmm. maybe this book needed music instead. So I tried music, and I started singing, and then I started typing what I was singing. (laughs) Yes, and it's very distracting. Yes. Just, I can't under like, again, my friend... When she writes, she puts her headphones on and she plays music. And especially that to have earbuds in or ear pods or whatever right in your ear and have music playing, oh no. It has to be a background noise Mm -hmm. for me. It's just, if it's right there in my ears, it is a huge huge distraction for me yeah I wouldn't be able to do that either because I would feel like if I I'm one of the people that when they go to a restaurant or anything they have to be inside of the door so I feel like if I put headphones on or something and I couldn't hear what Mm -hmm. else was going on around me it would distract me too much because I'd be too paranoid see that's how I am it's funny because I'm very lucky with two of my very very good friends are authors and they're indie authors, and we all live within 10 minutes of each other, which is great. So they'll, they'll be like, hey, you want to meet at, well, before the pandemic, but you want to meet at Starbucks for a writing night? 
Now, they would do it every week. Me, we go there, and it's too distracting to me. Because you want to talk. You've got everything going on around you. That's, I never understood how people can go to a busy coffee shop and sit there and write. For me, it has to be a specific kind of scene or something. Like, if it's a scene where there has to be a lot of human interaction or, you know, atmosphere noises, I find that it does help to go to a cafe. Because then those atmosphere noises are actually happening and I can just describe what's happening. Okay, that makes sense. And I mean, I have, we have done it where we've gone and I've gotten some writing done. But for the most part, I'm constantly looking up when I'm seeing, I guess, to in high school, I used to hate my best friend. Her um, father was chief of police. And so we, you know, we hung around a lot of cops and whatnot. But you just learn. I'm very like I pay attention to everything around me. Mm-hmm. So it is hard for me <clears throat> to go somewhere where there's a lot of action going on and block all that out. I can block if there's someone that I I just don't like or rambles on about something, I can block them out and they'd never know it. (laughs) But when it's a coffee shop or I just I'm, I'm too into what's going on around me. And I get distracted. Understandable. I mean, after all, we're our most comfortable in our own homes, so. Yes. Like I said, if I could sit outside on my deck, I'm I'm a happy camper. I'm a happy, happy girl because it's just, again, just the air, the sounds. I just, that is perfect to me. Do you live in the country? No, I actually don't, but luckily we have cool neighbors that aren't real loud, and they're usually, I'm an early riser, so I'm usually up before everybody. Uh, The one neighbor on the one side doesn't, they don't get up until probably 10, so I've got a couple hours in already outside. So you have... In addition to, like, nature sounds and stuff, you might have, like, a, a faint sound of a car or something that might help with your writing. Yes. Or a lawnmower. That's a, that's, it's, I know this sounds crazy, but that's, it's probably almost like white noise. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you I'm know, sitting it's... outside on the deck and someone in the distance is cutting their grass. That is such a soothing sound to me. Well, you know, it's it, white noise, yes, but it's you know, it's also sounds of living, which if you're trying to write living people in your book, it could help. Right. Right. And again, I think it's just, it comes down to I need just that human interaction for a while, too. And we haven't really had it. It's funny because we've had at work where we've had to wear masks around the office they put a mandate in well today they lifted it where we don't have to wear our masks around work because it's a small office anyways but 
everybody was in such a good mood this afternoon. And I think it's because you can actually see people. Like, you can see someone smile. Where, if you think about it, for the past two years, you go to the grocery store, all you're seeing are masks in people's eyes. And eyes are very expressive, but unless you, you know, when you pass someone and you see them smile, that lifts you up. And we haven't had that for a long time. And I just, I noticed that it's everybody's attitude once you could see and actually see someone's facial expressions, like the whole expression. It, It was a different kind of vibe at work even. Well, it sounds like you have a very inspiring place to sit and write at your house. (laughs) I do. And last year I put in a pond right off the deck. So that's even nicer because now I can sit outside and listen to the water and feed the fish and see the fish swimming around. And that's, I'm looking forward to that. I said, I need summer here. Just a quick note to you and to listeners. I apologize if you just heard that really loud sound. I have a neighbor who has decided his car has to be the loudest in existence. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love that? I swear, it's probably louder than our rocket going into space. It's ridiculous. We used to have a guy that lived across the street and like one house over that had had a Harley which is fine. The guy next door has one. So in the summer, he leaves for work early and it's loud. But he he gets up, he gets on it and he goes. The guy across, that used to live across the street would let that thing idle in the, in the driveway for 20 minutes. And it would be like 4 o'clock in the morning. So and I never understood that. That that was irritating. <laughs> yeah, this neighbor of mine, he gets in the car and leaves the brake on and pushes on the gas and then takes off. Like, he has to rev it a couple of times before he takes off. Okay, interesting. Neighbors. <laughs> you, yeah. What are you going to do? Would you like to win three Supernatural eBooks? Then send us an email at letsgetmysticalpodcast at gmail.com and answer this question. One correct answer will be randomly chosen to win my book, Two Fangs Don't Make a Fight, as well as the first two books in Lynn Howard's Shifter Council Executioner series. What supernatural sci-fi show did I reference at the very beginning of last week's episode and what was the phrase I used? Good luck! Um, so back to your writing, uh, how long yes. does it take you to write a book? You know, again, I have, okay, I wrote A Witch's Heart's Desire, so it's just a novella, I wrote it in a day. Wow. And, but it was like five o'clock in the morning and I think I finished it like, finished right the first draft at like three that morning and then it was the process of I am my own biggest editor I will write and reread and reread and reread things over and over again so that I wrote 
really quickly, but I reread it and tweaked it and changed things for a couple weeks after that. Nor, I mean, that just was one of those things. It was a freak. It just came to me and started flowing again, and I couldn't stop. I mean, I was writing as I was eating dinner. That's amazing. Even for a novella, that's that's impressive. Well, it just, again, when I get that, it's just, when it flows like that, it's a matter of I just let it go, and then I just go back and I keep editing myself. Mm-hmm. So... That was a quick, that was the fastest fastest I've ever written a book. Normally, I want to say it just depends. Maybe uh, from start to finish, a month. What's and your- that I mean, I've been writing. I've been working on Harper for I think two years now, three years. Well, you know, those are extenuating circumstances, but... Right. And, but, yeah, it's never taken me that long. I'll be seeing you, that was probably two months, and again, as someone who writes paranormal, and I don't want to make, I don't want this to come out wrong, but with paranormal romance, and I may, and you I know you'll be able to understand this. It's you have creative license. You have a little more breathing room. But when you do a contemporary like I, my romantic thriller, you've got to be a little more careful on your timelines on making sure things make sense if that makes sense to you. Yes. So it's harder with like with paranormal and supernatural. You your characters tend to have special abilities, so there's more leeway right. of like time skipping or even head hopping exactly. at some points. You know, if they can if they can read minds, then head hopping isn't exactly an issue. Or yeah, or you can you know if you want to, you can make someone be able to you know shimmer in somewhere or do whatever. Right. Stop time, start time. Yeah, there's a little but, bit more leeway with, like, transitions and stuff. You don't have to say, exactly. you know, they were on the train for 30 minutes and they got off at this station and they walked to the car, you know what I mean? Right, or your character has superhuman speed or right. whatever. So, it's, with I'll Be Seeing You, that's, that was a romantic thriller, so I had to be very careful to make sure... Well, if this is happening, it's got to make sense Mm time-wise. But it's, um, it was fun to do that. I, again, I, I love crime shows and I love that, I like that element of surprise and I want someone to think, oh, I never thought it was that person. Right, that's the best kind. It is. It is. So, and I do that, I do do that to a point. I don't want to be pigeonholed and everyone to think that when they read one of my books, they're waiting for the big reveal, so to speak. But I do like to do that little bit of a surprise where you're, 
maybe the baddie turns out to be someone you never thought it would be. Well, for example, in like Mermaid's Kiss, I won't give away any spoilers, but when the um, details of the kiss came about, I was surprised by that. Were <clears throat> you? Yes. Okay. I was. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that because I wanted to make that. You know, there's so many. That's too what I love about paranormal. That has just it's there's vampires we grew up with and then you know the lid was blown off that and actually owed to Anne Rice to me she was the first author to romanticize vampires I mean they were still very dark and killers but if you think about it with Interview with a Vampire Louis wasn't he was that romantic figure. He was tragic. And then Twilight came out. And it just flipped the lid on how we look at vampires. And even werewolves. So by doing that, you have so much. There's no set standard anymore. Where it's like, oh, if it's a vampire, they don't like garlic. I mean, that's kind of funny if you think about it. And legends are all, depending on where you go. Like yes. when the first year I went to New Orleans and we went on a ghost walk, just their legends on how they kill, if you have to kill a vampire, were fascinating to me. Nothing like I grew up with. It wasn't a stake through the heart. You know, you have to behead them and put them in water that flows a certain way. And it's just, it's just, there's so much out there to do. It gets me excited because you can just say, this is how I want this to be. And it can be. I mentioned um, in last week's episode to my guest that uh find that paranormal and supernatural is open to interpretation in some ways yeah like especially like you're saying with vampires there is so much out there about what supposedly could be done or what abilities they have that really there's millions of ways it can be interpreted and that's how i right. feel that sometimes no matter how much vampires are done in literature or movies or something you can still make it unique enough for it to stand out because it's open to inter interpretation. Exactly. Like the one thing, not picking apart Twilight, but that whole sparkling thing, I just, that's the one thing I was kind of like, I cringed because you do the movies and it's like, how come he only sparkled at certain times of the day? <laughs> He's, shouldn't he be sparkling there? Well, I believe it had something to do with cloud cover and stuff, but I get your point. Okay. Um, a, a little bit of an unpopular opinion on my part when it comes to Twilight is I feel like she focused on the wrong set of supernatural beings. I feel like she should have focused on the werewolves because I feel that the stories, and especially the movies, were exceptionally better once the werewolves were introduced. Yes. But again... It was, you know, it was, it was young adult 
YA book. Um, so I think it was she just decided to make the, the vampire such a romantic, you know, that romantic figure, and then you bring the werewolves in for a love triangle, which that's what young adult, to me, that's the formula for young adult novels. Yeah, well, and, and you know, it, it matters about what's popular at the time that the book is written, and because even if we try not to be influenced by those things, it still leaks in because your brain is saying, well, this is what people are reading, so this is what I should be writing. Right. Oh, you, exactly. And that's why, like, I never read the genre I'm writing. So, I right now, I mean, I'm a romance author, so I will read, um, I like horror, of course, so when I read, when I find time to read, I read either horror or something that I don't write because I am so afraid of something not even realizing, you know, sticking in your brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, a big debate among authors right now, too, is like, do you read the genre that you're writing or don't you? You know, what is the right thing to do? And honestly, I don't feel like there is a steadfast rule. It's a matter of who you are as a writer. Because, like, right. I, especially now, I am trying to kind of transition into writing young adult. I've never written young adult before, so I'm reading young adult to get an idea of how I should be writing the story. That I get. Yes, if you're going to um, start a genre you've never written before, by all means, because you do want to get a feel on how they structure the story. Because my only... I've read I read um, the Hunger Games trilogy, Twilight. That's really all I've ever read in young adults. And I loved the Hunger Games till the third book, and then I felt the third book was just so rushed. And see, again, I think that's where my fear comes in with trying to force something. Because I think a reader that loves what you've written so far, if you force it, they're going to know. I think one of the things that is a very big resource for writers, which a lot of them do not utilize, is their editors. Because a lot of times people will get advice from an editor, especially a developmental editor, but not take that advice. And then when they publish the book, somebody will review it and say exactly what the editor told them. And then they're going to be regretting not taking that advice. So it's important to get other people's um, opinions on things as well before publication. Oh, exactly. But again, that's a slippery slope too. Your editor has to know you, has to know your style, because I remember... um, I think it was Wolfbane. I had a friend that would beta read for me. And um, I loved it because she's, she was brutally honest. Well, Wolfbane is a little... My main character is a little different. He's not an alpha. 
he's a very sensitive main character and his best friend would be the alpha and he's just he was just like a secondary character and he was funny as hell just snarky you know but an alpha but I wanted a sensitive male so I was having a hard time her and I kept going back and forth and she's like I love the story but I just she's like I can't get into him he's too nice she's like he needs to be more like this person that's a matter of preference, I think. I think, well, she even said that. She said, um, you know, I like my alpha male main character. And she says, that's probably the trouble I'm having. So I I tweaked a few things, changed a few things. And she, you know, called me back and she's like, you nailed it. You got it. He's still sensitive, but it's. I think that was an eye-opener for me because I think, and I don't know if it's the paranormal genre in itself that they think that the male needs to be an alpha, but I just, the story, I just, at, at the root of the story, this man, this he was a werewolf, he was a wolf shifter, made a promise to someone he considered family who was murdered to take care of this girl that he happened to fall in love with. But so he wasn't being your typical, you know, I'm being a jerk. He was trying to help her. I'm going to pick up that one next for your books because I, uh, the fact that even just the fact that you say he's a sensitive werewolf to me makes me immediately want to pick up that book because 90% of werewolf books out there are the rough and tumble gruff alphas that they're jerks yes. I, mean, I, I but point yeah they are they can be sexy jerks but they have that snarky that alpha attitude and this guy it wasn't about him being an alpha it was about him fulfilling a promise and being knocked on his butt because he was doing everything he could to keep this girl safe and you know and you happen to fall in love with her but yeah he was very sensitive and his best friend who was a vampire was not (laughs) but he was I mean he is but he's just he's more of that um I love I love a smart ass and I think that's where it's inevitable as an author you bleed some of your own personality into your books and into your characters definitely definitely yes and my father growing up I would come walking into the room and he's like oh here's my little smart ass now (laughs) because I always had a little you know not a it wasn't mean but I would say something and it was just a smart-ass answer. So I put that in a lot of my characters, male, female. I just like that little one-liner back at someone when they say something. Something that you would not expect 
that character to say that you're going to, I was going to say we were talking about compliments and another one of my compliments that I've gotten is when someone tells me that they were reading my book and they laughed out loud. I love that. Yeah, that's always a surprising thing to happen too. It's just like, you, yeah. you know you're enjoying the story, but then when something happens where it makes you either laugh really loud or, you know, um, any kind of actual em- physical emotion, it's always fun when that happens when you're reading a it, book because you don't realize how immersed you've been getting into the story until something like that happens. Exactly. And it's just, no matter how, and it that's, that's another, as an author, it's a tough one because if you're writing a serious book, I mm-hmm. like that humor in there. You need that little break. Yeah. Be- because I've read books that they were so serious. After I got done reading them, I felt drained and not in a good way. Yeah. And that's not realistic either because even if your main character or even two of your main characters are that way, not everybody around them is going to be that way. So there's going to be humor and things coming into play in some way. I mean, it doesn't have to be a right. lot of it, but... You just need that little... I, that little break of seriousness. You know, like I said, a little chuckle, a little wow. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so hard to explain, and I guess you just hope you give your reader that sense of just losing themselves because like I get questions too all the time when I do interviews or whatever and they'll say who did you have in mind when you were writing Desmond and from A Vampire Same Embrace who did you picture in your head and I will not answer that I don't ask that question because I, I know exactly how you're feeling when you're talking about that because it's like, who did I picture? I pictured the character. Right. Or, you know, and I get what they mean um, because I'm a sucker for black hair and blue eyes. I mean, who are we kidding? <laughs> I'm just a sucker for that. So they will, and I get the questions, but I won't answer that because I don't want to put my ideal into the reader's head. I want them to picture by my description, they might picture someone who looks completely different than who I picture. Right. And that's the fun of it. You know, I could say, oh, well, you know, I picture blah, blah, blah. And it might... It might sour their experience of the book because then they have in the back of their mind, well, that's not who I think, you know, that's not who I picture when I read him. Right. Which is why there's a lot of backlash when a lot of books are made into shows or movies and they don't cast people who look exactly like the readers think they should. Exactly. I remember, again, I remember when um, they were making Hunger Games. And they were giving, um, when they announced that Jennifer Lawrence was going to play Katniss, I remember them, people just were up in arms. 
no, she can't play Katniss, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's always been my big thing. I won't, I won't answer those questions when, because I want the reader to lose themselves in the book, picture the characters, how they see the characters, and I hope and pray that I describe them where they do picture someone in their head and it might not be even anyone famous. They could say, oh, I picture so-and-so, but they can see the characters. And I don't think looks are as important as being able to see or feel their personality. Um, right. Because, you know, it, even because there's been sometimes where something's been made into a show or a movie and it's something as simple as the wrong hair color and people are just going crazy over it. It's like, yeah. it's just hair. They, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I get it. Um, when someone loves a book, they, and I mean, as, as authors too, I mean, we love that someone gets so passionate about the characters in your book. So I understand that because they do, they do have that, they're invested and when they create the show and the person looks like nothing that they even come close to what they pictured it is disappointing for them but you're never going to please everybody and that's the prop that's the hard well, part yeah. too and when it's more important for whoever is playing the part to play the part rather than look the part exactly that's the thing again and I bring back the whole Jennifer Lawrence with the um, Hunger Games they were saying she's blonde you know Katniss has got brown hair and they were just going on there ripping her apart but she played that character where I watched that movie and I even really know who Jennifer Lawrence was at the time and to me, she was perfect because I felt that character. And I never thought, oh, she, you know, that's not how I pictured her. Because exactly what you're saying, she played the emotions to a T. Right, exactly. I, I, admittedly, I never read the Hunger Games books. But I could mm-hmm. never, I mean, I couldn't see anybody but Jennifer Lawrence now playing that part. Right. Yeah, my friend got me into the Hunger Games, and I was at work looking for something to read at lunch, and I start, I read Maki, the first one, the Hunger Games, loved it, read the second one, loved it. Like I said, the third one felt a little rushed at the end, and I think it's just... My biggest fear is her editor, you know, her publishing house, whatever, is like, we need this book, like, yesterday. Pressure, yeah. And because right after I published, I want to say, A Wolf's Savage Embrace, I did have a publisher approach me, which shocked me, because I wasn't looking. And they wanted to take over the series, publish it under their publishing house and I talked to a lot of different authors traditionally published um, indie authors that I had become friendly with 
indie authors that were traditionally published and went indie. And again, because of the way I write, I just, I decided against it because I don't want anyone, number one, messing with my characters. That's my biggest fear because, and you know, as a writer, they be, they're your children. Yeah. You know, they, they become real to you. And that I was so afraid that, especially when you're a newer author, I'm thinking, oh no, they'll change my covers. They'll change my, you know, they'll just change things in the book. And I just, that was my, that was a big fear of mine. And then the, I'm not good working under a timetable. Again, it comes back to, I never want to force the story. I want this because if you force it to write it, you're going to have to force yourself to read it because you're going to feel that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, and I self-publish as well. And I just don't think I could relinquish that control of no my creation. And I'm not a, right. I'm not a control freak. I'm really not. But when it comes to my writing, I am. Because those are my characters. They're not anyone else's. You know, they come from my heart. They're pieces of me. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm hoping it's a good thing. I'm hoping it conveys on the page well, when I you have the word bestseller attached to your name, so I think it's working. I hope so. <laughs> Um, I really do. Just to go back a little bit, uh, we were talking about humor in books. Mm -hmm. Um, To give people a little idea of what we were talking about, the example I can think of, which Twilight's good for one thing, because the example I can think of is Twilight movies, when Bella was freezing and Jacob said, well, I am hotter than you. That was humorous. Exactly. And it was humor in the middle of drama. So. Right. And I think you need that. Because, I mean, granted, there are certain taboo, you know, there are certain subjects you don't want to make light of. But that doesn't mean you can't have that moment of two where, as serious as it is, someone just says something or does something that just gives you that little bit of a relief. Yeah. And you need that because like I said, I I have a lot of humor in my books. Again, I think it comes from, I have that snarkiness where sometimes I'll say something and I'm like, did I say that out loud? Because it's just, um, but I have read books where I've finished that book and I thought, oh, I'm thoroughly depressed now. Yeah, that's not that's not what you want readers to be when they're done with your book. No, and I mean, I've read some really heavy stories, but there, I've also read heavy stories where there's that moment or two where it just gives you that little, even if you don't laugh, but you smile, and yeah. you think, and it does it breaks that up so I didn't 
close that book, you know, even though I'm sobbing my eyes out, but I didn't close that and that story or and reading that book and think, oh, God, am I depressed? Yeah, definitely so, not with the feeling you want people a, to have. I'm sorry. So that's definitely not the feeling you want people to have when they finish the book. No, I mean you. Yeah, you, I mean you have tragic. I mean, who didn't? I don't know. I mean, who didn't sob their cry, cry their eyes out at like terms of endearment or steel magnolias or mine is Wuthering Heights. That book, I think I read in seventh grade or something, and I just sobbed because of just the way it was written and you know I mean and if you have ever ever read the book Kathy was a horrible person but it didn't matter because the way she wrote it that was such an epic love story that and such a tragic love story that you couldn't help but feel for him you know it's just and that to me is just an amazing talent. Yeah, the first book that comes to mind for me talking like that is Little Women. Yes, that's another great one. They went through so much, but they still had moments of just being sisters or joking around and stuff like that. It yeah. really broke it up. Yeah, it's just so. I mean, that's what as writers we hope to give our readers I mean I just want like I said I just want my readers to lose themselves for however long and where it gives them a little bit of reprieve from everything going on around them and then we've done our job <laughs> yes yes we have Did you know you could get early access to all the episodes of this podcast, an exclusive monthly episode, the ability to ask our guests questions, and so much more? All you have to do is visit patreon.com through the link in the show notes and support the show for as little as $2 per month. We'd love to have you as a patron. Um, okay, so I mentioned earlier that I, I read uh, Mermaid's Kiss, mm-hmm. which was my first book in a long time because I think I have read one of your others but I couldn't remember the title of it but in a long it's been the first one in a long time that I read of yours um okay and I I enjoyed it a lot it was pleasantly surprised um again wanted more <laughs> but I had okay. I had a couple of questions so first okay um I don't know if you meant to do this or if it just kind of happened but was it supposed to be like a little mermaid retelling um, see, I didn't really get that. Um, because, yes, I mean, to me, I, the Little Mermaid retelling, uh, I think it was just more about how I picture, and I'm an ocean girl, and I, I've always, when I was little, I wanted to be Lorelai the mermaid. Um, I think it was just, she just, much like the Little Mermaid, she didn't fit in. 
but it was just because it was fate that he was her fate you know he was her destiny it's interesting so i don't yeah i don't think i plan to have it be like the little mermaid it's just i wanted it to be where more of like a fish out of water story i wanted her she just didn't know where she fit in anywhere I'm wondering if it was just um, my interpretation of the story because there was, you know, not fitting in and um, I I felt she was also terrified to be on land. Yes. And I felt like uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I felt the correlation a little when they were in the um, I don't remember if it was a cave or what it was actually called. But I felt kind of a correlation with that and this, the part in Little Mermaid with all of her collectibles. That, because she did kind of, that was her safe place. Right. Yes. So, you know, I never even thought about that. You're right. But that was where she would go to be, to get her legs. Right. And to go on land. But as... I, again, I don't want to, I'm like, I don't want to give too much away, but. <laughs> it's hard to do with it when it's she, a short book. <laughs> it is. Um, but in doing that, the land, if you remember, if you think about it, she stopped going unless she absolutely had to because it scared the people, the land walkers scared her so much. Right. Whereas <laughs> I think with the Little Mermaid, she wanted to be human that was that's all she wanted I felt in your book that she was fascinated by human beings but didn't necessarily want to be one she just was you know fascinated with observing them and everything see I wanted I think it was more she did she wanted I think she was just searching for a place where she felt she fit in and I think that's what she was searching for by going on land but then she realized it wasn't as all it was cracked up to be right and fate whatever it's it was kind of about conquering your fears too because she had a face those fears for him she was willing to do that right right because oftentimes again don't want to give too much away um (laughs) but you know when she was helping him she had to go on land to get supplies and things so she had to face that fear i completely get that um yes and she didn't really want to anymore because it's it frightened her so much right what, uh, one of the lines that really stuck with me, um, I don't actually have the specific line, but there was a line in the book where she was talking about how having legs gave her freedom. Mm-hmm. It, that line really hit me and really stuck with me for reasons I really couldn't explain. But I was wondering if that was a line that was inspired by anything for you or if it was just something that happened while you were writing. Um, It's not really... It wasn't really inspired, but I think to the sense that we don't, how I wanted it to convey, you know, she came from 
the ocean and you think that's limitless. She has this, how, why do legs give her freedom? And I don't necessarily, I didn't mean it that the legs themselves gave her freedom. It was she had that choice where there was something beyond what she had always known. Okay, okay. That her leg gave her freedom to find what she was actually looking for. Because, again, I don't think she she didn't know where she fit in. She didn't. Because I, again, I don't want to give too much away, but my interpretation of mermaids uh, as a whole is different than a lot of people. You know, they think, oh, all these these little mermaids live in a school and they're all happy and whatever but I portrayed them as not very family oriented yeah I felt that about that line but I also sort of felt like it was kind of I I don't want to say breaking the fourth wall but in a way talking to the audience about how we take our legs for granted and how we're lucky to be able to walk? Um, not intentionally. I see what you mean with that. And yes, because she had that, the legs did give her a lot more freedom than being in the ocean. But then you think it's, it's a tough call. I think it's a line that's up for interpretation because I feel like possibly that was just me interpreting it in the way it was making me feel because that's definitely the, I mean, I had this like wave of emotion when I read that line that I take my legs for granted and I should be more grateful that I'm able to walk. Oh, and that like, that like makes me teary eyed because that it hit you like that at such a deep level that, you know what I mean, you actually, that just blows me away. Well, it was your writing that did that, so. <laughs> and because I didn't think of it that deeply, I just meant it that her legs did give her freedom because she could move about a completely different world. So yes, in essence, you're right. We do take our legs for granted. In Mermaid's Kiss, there are dragon shifters. Mm-hmm. And I find that dragon shifters in the book world are pretty underrepresented. So I was wondering if the fact that they're underrepresented was what influenced you to include them, or if it was just something you absolutely had to include, or if it's just because you like dragons so much. Um, actually, no. That's... I did when I did Promise to a Dragon, that was in a dragon anthology. And that in a lot of ways made me fall in love with dragons. So then I did Winter's Kiss, which is an is is another dragon story. So with Mermaid's Kiss, I wanted it I'm big on doing things in trilogies, kind of like a threes. But so I can't really say because I might I might write another dragon story you never know but so Mermaid's Kiss 
I wanted to do another Dragon Shifter story, so I had three of the stories, three Dragon Shifters. Oh, okay. Well, that might possibly be a little bit of a superstition on your part if you have to do everything in threes. It could be. <laughs> um, and I think that very well could be why I'm struggling with finishing Harper, which would be book four in my series, because that will be the last one in that series. So it's one of two things. It's the, I don't want to break that three trend, but then I have the anthology novella series, which are five novellas um, from different anthologies I've been in, and that's five books, so that breaks that. But, um... I just, you're right. It could be superstition. I don't know. It's interesting. I, never I, thought I don't of think I've ever heard anybody else it's say very, that before. <laughs> I just didn't, because I am. I'm, I Well, with Harper 2, I think, I know Harper is going to be the last book in the Supernatural Desire series. I think that is a big part of why I'm struggling to finish it, because I don't want to say goodbye to those characters on some level. Mm. And I think in the back of my mind, I know that's it. Because with Harper, we jump forward um, a few years. And it's Harper's story, and it's going to finish out. Not to say that, never say never, and not to say I won't leave it open where if I ever choose to go back, I do have that opportunity. And I don't want to say why or how and spoil anything. Because if you read the series, there are a couple surprises that I don't want to say anything or it'll ruin the surprise. But, um, so I mean, I could always go back, I think, once I'm done but I'm not planning on it. So I don't know if it's in the back of my mind. And that's what's so difficult for me. And I have people asking me all the time when they're going to get Harper. And I, I'm i working on it, but I, that could very well be what's holding me back. Yeah, it's understandable. You'll get there yeah. eventually. I will. I will. And like I said, it'll come and it's starting to a little bit more. And um, I'm making progress, so I will get it done. <laughs> I just, I promise. All right, I'm going to ask you one question that I did not prepare you for. Um, is okay. there any supernatural beings that you really want to write about that you haven't yet? This idea came to me that someone that will, you know, is getting towards the end of their time, so they have to suck the soul from someone else to continue existing. So I might someday do a story about a soul sucker, but I just don't like the name. Hey, it's supernatural creatures. You can it always is, change it. And it's kind of morbid. And it, I think it would be more if I ever dipped my toe into the horror genre. Mm. But other than that, no. I, I mean, I might want to do a siren but it, that's a lot like a mermaid. 
but ways, I yes. might. Pardon me. Is it in ways it's like a mermaid? Yes, but there's there's things it you is, could probably it, do to make it different. I, that's what I was thinking. So I might like to do something to that effect. Witches. There's so many different types of witches, like um, Winter's Kiss, which is uh, another dragon shifter story, but Winter is a um, earth witch. So she's more of a witch that does spells with things from around her, around from the earth. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed writing that. That sounds good. Um, oh, thanks. But I, yeah, I really enjoyed writing that because it was a difference because I think people picture they have certain ideas of witches and what they do. And she was just, it was more of like she was a healing witch where, you know, she takes plants and does this and that. And I like, I like that. So I might do a different type of witch. I, I don't know. I just, again, it's whatever pops into my head. Well, uh, we're, I'm for sure personally looking forward to whatever you got coming up next. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I'm working on stuff. I'm actually, I said, I'm working on Harper. I'm working on another uh, romantic thriller, which is going to be a little bit darker for me, but it's still going to be a romance. It's going to be a romantic thriller. Um, So I'm working on that. And I got a couple other things in the wings. So, we just got to get moving on them. Well, uh, I wish you happy writing. Um, Thank you. Would you like to let the people know a little bit about where they can find you and keep up to date on everything? I would love to. Um, My website is www.darlene.com. And... My books are on there, my bio, where I'm going to be at signings. Uh, I try to keep it as updated, but again, this is Miss Not Organized. <laughs> Follow me on Facebook at Darlene Concitus, author, or you can go to Facebook to my page, which is a Vampire Save and Embrace page. And that is just, that's a fun page. I'll do giveaways every now and then and let everyone know what's going on and Post really obnoxious memes and that kind of stuff. Uh, always, too, you can, they can, Facebook, I have the Darlene Concise Fan Club. You can join that. We do giveaways in there. And Twitter has messed up my Twitter account, and I just can't find anybody, like, I can't contact anybody to get it back. But I'm working on that, but I'm at Twitter, at Vampires Embrace. And um, Amazon, of course. All my books are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Wonderful. Well, I will make sure to link up all of that in the show notes so people can go directly to those. Thank you. And I, I hope I haven't talked your ear off. I've had so much fun. You know what? So have I. Um, and one last <laughs> thing that everybody that comes on this show is going to have to answer, and that Uh-oh. is. Have you ever had any supernatural or paranormal experiences or encounters? 
Yes, I have. Back when I was young, I think I was 15, I was very close to, it was my father's sister's husband. So he was my uncle, but, and he was dying of cancer. And um, every Sunday back then, I mean, this was back, I, he passed away in 1979. That's how long ago it was. Um, he was in Cleveland Clinic and you stayed there. It wasn't like nowadays where they do chemo treatments and you go home. He was in the hospital, and I think they knew he was at his end stages. But every Sunday, we would go to Cleveland Clinic to go to see him and spend the day with him. And the one Sunday, I woke up, and I'm like, I don't want to go today. And my parents never forced me, so they said, no problem. And that night, I went to bed, and I... Felt someone sit on my bed, and I woke. I looked, and it was my uncle. And I'm like, "What are you doing here?" And he says, "I just came to say goodbye." And I'm like, "Where are you going?" And he says, "I just came to say goodbye." And the phone rang. He was gone, and it was my aunt telling my parents that my uncle had passed away. And then when. We had weird things happen, like when my mother passed away, my sister and I were sitting in the living room talking about her, and one of the balls that were for my dogs, all the dogs were sleeping, rolled from where the TV was, like across the room between my sister and I, and stopped, and my sister and I I just watched it roll, and we're like, okay, mom's letting us know she's here. So I've had little experiences like that. Um, nothing major and just, you know, little creepy things. (laughs) Yeah, I think, Uh, I think the thing with your uncle probably would creep me out too, is with as many, uh, experiences as as I've had, that one, even the story kind of freaked me a little bit. Really? And you've had a lot of experiences, huh? I wouldn't say a lot, but more than most people. See, and you know what the weird part was, is my mother was, she loved people. And her favorite, like, she loved, if she was surrounded by people and she could just talk and laugh and have a great time, that's when she was happiest. After she died, I came home from work the one day and my sister said, I got the weirdest, I had the weirdest phone call. You got to listen to this. So she gives me the phone. I you know, play the message and all you could hear were people laughing. And I'm like, what is this? And she goes, Dar, it was the weirdest thing. She says, I was in the kitchen, the phone started ringing and I was making dinner and my hands were dirty. So I was like, "Ah, I'll let the voicemail get it. And so she let it, usually after four rings, the voicemail picks it up. It wasn't. She said it kept ringing and ringing and ringing. So she's like, what the heck is going on? So she said she grabbed the phone. She said hello. And she could hear these people laughing and talking. And it sounded like a party. And she said a couple choice words. Because they they weren't talking to her. And hung up. And then she's like, I'm going to call that. I'm going to call that back and see who it was. So she hit redial. And it was our home phone. Oh, that's creepy. (laughs) Yeah. And it said, 
my mother's name and the phone had never been in her name. So she saved it because she wanted me to listen to it. And she's like, you won't, she says, look, listen to this. So I'm like, that creeped me out. So, you know, we're telling people we're talking and my one friend came over and she listened to it and she saw that it was the home, the phone number, the home number that <laughs> was calling. And then like two days later, it just, the message, everything just disappeared. Wow. So yeah, we just kind of said, yeah, it was mom letting us know she's with everybody and she's having a good time. Her energy must have been very strong for her to be able to interact with stuff like that. Oh, you know, it's funny because um, uh, my mother was one of a kind. And her and I just were two peas in a pod. And she used to always tell me, you like all that ghost stuff? I'm going to come back and haunt you so bad. And it was always a joke. <laughs> she kept her word. <laughs> and just, yeah, little things. But then... After that phone call, nothing else weird has ever happened again. And I think it was just her way of letting us know, because she died very suddenly. My mom was always just never got a cold. She had, you know, was never sick. And she had AVMs, which are like little, they're just like little aneurysms. I guess you can have them anywhere in your body and they just will burst sometimes. So all this happened in, in three months, she was gone. So we weren't prepared for it. Wow. Yeah, so I think it was just her way of saying, hey, I'm at a party. It's it's great here and I'm okay. That's how I want to look at it. That's, it. that's how I would interpret it as well, just telling you not to worry about her and she'll be fine yes because you know you just you hope there's something on the other side waiting yeah well in addition to um tending to be sensitive to spirits i also have for lack of a better term dreams um that tend to become premonitions and then a lots of times they will, I will wake up from them or, you know, suddenly jolt awake from them as if they were a nightmare. And if something happens in, for example, I had one where somebody was out in the woods and they got shot by a hunter. When I woke up from it, the part where they got shot in the dream on me hurt. Really? Yeah. So it's, oh, wow. it tends to be that my dreams are hard to determine whether they're just dreams or if I should be paying closer attention to them. <laughs> See, I wonder about that because, like, that night, I swear my uncle visited me before. You know, he just had to say goodbye because I didn't go that Sunday. Or it was just a premonition that he was going to go. And... That's why, I, you know, maybe it was a dream. I just, but I swear I felt him sit on my bed. And just, so you don't know. And it's kind of like my mother always said she heard death rattles in people. That she could hear the death rattle. And she would, she had, I mean, she was never wrong. Wow. It was creepy. 
Well, then that kind of un- explains why her energy was so strong when she passed, that if she had some abilities like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, and it's just, oh yeah, and we, I mean, I've had a really, that's for another time, a <laughs> horrible experience with the Ouija board when I was young and stupid. Oh, aren't um, we all? So I won't, <laughs> won't touch those. <laughs> And I think I said I, I've always been fascinated with that, and maybe it's that—that's my way of dealing with it—is turning into paranormal and making it romantic. Hey, we all have our ways. Hmm. Well, thank you so very much for being my fourth guest on my podcast. It's been a privilege talking to you for the last two hours. <laughs> oh, I've had a blast. I'm glad. And. I have, and I appreciate you having me on your show. I wish you all the luck on this podcast. I think it's going to be fantastic. I love that you are talking to authors and getting people out there. Yes, and um, we're not just going to be talking to authors either. We have some other supernatural being people to coming on. Um, we got a demonologist, and we have somebody who's in charge of a paracon. We have a whole bunch of people coming on. Oh. See, that, that's, that, now you're talking my language. I love this stuff. <laughs> Thank you again for joining me. Thank you for having me. I hope I ha- didn't talk your ear off. Oh, it was a blast. Oh, uh, well, thank you, and thank you to your listeners, and keep reading, everybody. Thank you for listening to Let's Get Mystical. This podcast was hosted by Genevieve Scholl and Lynn Howard and produced by Genevieve Scholl. If you'd like to contact the hostesses, you can do so by emailing letsgetmysticalpodcast at gmail.com.